I'm Alex Barlow, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. This is going to be the first of three special editions where we are packaging together some interviews I've conducted. Uh, I think all of them were done at the Turning Point USA America Fest that I just attended, and I spoke to some of the best journalists and some of the best thinkers in the conservative media, and we had these lined up for you, and I wanted to play all of them on the podcast. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a series I think it'll be three days this week. I think we're going to release four podcasts this week, and I think three of them will be these interview packages. So uh, keep an eye out for that. If you want your typical live show, we'll have at least one of those this week. Uh, But this is the plan for now. And this first edition is going to have Andy No, who's one of the best journalists there is. He covers really the radical left, the violent left, very brave guy, and a nice guy as well. Really nice talk to him. Then we'll speak to Tyler Bowyer, who is one of the top dogs at Turning Point USA and runs Turning Point Action, which is the political arm of Turning Point USA, which kind of covers the campuses. And Tyler is also a guy who is deeply uh, knowledgeable about Arizona politics, and Arizona has sort of been the center of the political universe recently with the Kerry Lake race and get a lot of his take on some of that, and it's wonderful to hear from him. Drew Hernandez is one of the coolest people in media. He has a uh, great background going to some of the most dangerous places and covering it as a guerrilla journalist. Uh, Now he's at Turning Point USA. He's got a show there. Uh, He also is most famous probably for getting footage of the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, the incident, shall we say, and then participating in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. So really good to talk to Drew. So a good show lineup for you, Andy, Tyler, and Drew. Let's hear it. Alex Marlowe here, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, here with one of America's best journalists, Andy No, andy-ngo.com. He's got a Patreon, he's got a Locals, Climate Post Millennial, he's got a book called Unmasked, which was out, I think it was a year ago, and it was a big hit. So Andy, it's great to have you here on our various platforms. Um, you're at the Turning Point event here, America Fast, you're speaking to a younger group of people. Now, one thing that you're very good, good at is that people attack you with all sorts of various odd attacks that are not based in anything. And you go ahead, you soldier ahead. Uh, Speak about the mentality it takes to be a journalist in America reporting on the woke left. You know, I actually never really thought of myself as brave before, and it was surprising to me when people went up to me and thanked me for my reporting and said I was brave. Um, All I thought I was doing was just presenting the truth. At that time, a few years ago, it was on video. That's what I used to do. I used to go to the protests and riots to capture the footage. Um, and it made me a target of violence many times. It's an old story now. People have known what's happened to me over the last few years um, in Portland, Oregon, where I was living. Um, I guess it's, it, takes, it takes true, it takes a lot of courage to be, to be brave and I'm not sure if I see it in myself but for other people I think when they they're willing to stick by their convictions knowing that they have a lot to risk and to lose um, that's something I really admire in this conference I don't 
unfortunately, I don't get the opportunity to attend very many conferences in America now. I'm outside of the U.S. a lot because of um, threats against me. But here, I mean, there's a certain fire that's driving a lot of young people, and that's encouraging. I think, um, you know, in comparison to some other places, other countries I've been to, I don't really see that same type of excitement for conservative politics among young people. Right. Um, so, so what's different here? Because there is so much hatred of conservative young people. Uh, you've experienced it. You have been attacked violently. And it's one of these things where it is designed to maybe not affect you. Maybe you're strong enough that you fight through it. Um, but maybe it's the next person who would want to do what you're doing, would want to emulate your career. Uh, and they don't want to do it because they're afraid. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not one to call for every person to be a martyr. And I think it's actually, sometimes I hear people say, go out and, and get canceled because then you'll be released of all you know, restrictions. And actually, I think, I think that's reckless. There's, you have to be really strategic about it. And there are certain rules of the game, and it's rigged against people like you and I. Right. And so you have to be smart. I was just say, um, if, for people, let's say, who are interested in journalism, if you, if you pursue the truth and, you, and that's reflected in your work, people will, will recognize that. And even your detractors will recognize that. I mean, there's, I think there's a reason why I'm perceived as a big threat to many people on the far left. It's because um, my work is accurate. You know, I have, if, for example, uh, my book. Um, it has huge citations on the end, law enforcement sources, official press releases, all that. Um, and, uh, and, and of course, the importance of video documentation of riots and violence and criminal activities. And, but I think that's why you're attacked harder. It's because when you bring the goods, sometimes they have two choices, either ignore you or to try to dismiss you and try to get you canceled, uh, which you've been the subject of a lot of attacks in that regard, as have a lot of other people, particularly on Twitter, which have people probably maybe best know you from Twitter. You're a lot of places, but your Twitter account is very powerful. Um, and Twitter's gotten a lot more free lately. I, I want you to assess the Twitter files and the censorship that maybe you've experienced over the years and others who do similar things to what you do and I do and use that platform. Uh, talk about it broadly. What was really disturbing to me about Twitter's content moderation before the regime change yeah. is that you, journalists could be actually punished for reporting the truth. And I'll give a very clear example of that. Um, in 2019, um, every year there's, a, there's a, a day called Trans Day of Remembrance, which is a day where activists say that there's a genocide of trans people in the United States, that it's driven by white supremacy and transphobic fascism and transphobic hate. And I, I looked into the data, you have usually around three dozen homicides of trans people. Each one's tragic, I'm not under diminishing those deaths. But you compare that to the population science, that's not a, one, that's not a genocide. Two, you look at who are the suspects who are alleged or convicted as murderers and they are overwhelmingly black males. That may be inconvenient truth, it's the truth of the data. I reported that out in 2019 and I that was found to be a violation of Twitter's hate speech policy. So I was forced to delete it or not be on the platform. I chose ultimately to delete was it. Was there anything you reported that was opinion or was it all just fact-based? Facts. Fact. Right. Because it's, um, it's part of this. Well, and also, as we've learned through the, the Twitter files, the rules that are outlined in the terms of service are open to wide interpretation from the Twitter staff. Right. And here's another example. 
um, under the prior regimes, and actually I think it's still current policy, dead naming, which is where you say the prior name of some person who's trans. Well, in my reporting, I do crime reporting on people who use aliases, have had name changes, and it's absolutely important to, in crime reporting to, rec to report out that somebody had a prior name, you know? And I've had uh, a violation of that, also it's a dead naming policy. And also the thing around the pronouns as well. So this is what I mean, this is a very, I mean, Twitter is a powerful tool for communication information, but it's, it's, it's really actually disturbing to me that it, you are also compelled to lie. Yes, you are compelled to lie. And it, it, I was n noticing how, remember these, the five minutes we talked about stopping Asian hate? Mm -hmm. First of all, I, it feels like you were a victim of Asian hate here a couple of times. How can we stop talking about Asian hate? I mean, it was just like 20 minutes and then we were done. Stop Asian hate and any other so-called anti-racism campaigns in the United States are driven only for partisan political reasons. So when it can be blamed on white supremacy or the right, then there's a lot of attention brought onto it. Um, so that, for example, Stop Asian Hate, that started because of the, um, the deadly shootings in the Atlanta, the sex balls. And the suspect happened to be a white male and some of the victims were women of East Asian background. Um, evidence has not come out to support that he was driven by anti-Asian animus. So that inconvenient narrative sort of just faded away. We saw it again also with the Colorado Springs um, mass shooting at the gay club. Immediately was, the rhetoric was, the narrative was that this happened because of people like Libs of TikTok, because of people like me, because we are allowed to state, either to report inconvenient truths or to state our opinions on, on gender ideology. And because of that, we played a role in inspiring the mass shooter. Well, very quickly we learned that this is a trans, non-binary shooter, and there's been no evidence so far that law enforcement have pointed to to say that this suspect was driven by an anti-LGBTQ ideology. And this happens so often, and yet there's never culpability, there's never accountability, there's never mea culpa, there's never suspensions or punishments of any kind. It just, we all move on to the next hysteria. And so you're, you do most of your reporting, not just on the institutional left, but really on the violent institutional left. Uh, tell me about a couple of things you're talking about right now, you're reporting on right now. Yeah, so it's really, you know, um, broadly you could say I actually report on what is cancel culture, but the ultimate conclusion of it, which is political violence, extreme political violence. So in, uh, outside of Atlanta, there's been an autonomous zone that's been in place since June of last year. This really should have been a bigger story. It's, was, it's been ignored in the national press. And you've had now in this occupation of far-left extremists coming from all across the United States to this autonomous zone to pre so that they can prevent the construction of a law enforcement training facility. Now, there's been a number of arrests over the months, but it escalated in, in the last two weeks with um, two arson attacks on uh, two homes that were under construction next to the autonomous zone was burnt to the ground, arson attacks on the street, assaults on law enforcement, and a civilian who made the mistake of driving into the so-called autonomous zone and having his car set on fire with him inside the vehicle. So the Georgia Bureau investigation last week raided this autonomous zone slash compound. Five of the suspects have been charged with domestic terrorism among other felony charges. And this is not a front page story. 
when you have, I mean, a, what is alleged by prosecutors, a felony um, conspiracy of domestic terrorism in the United States. Um, yeah, so, you know, a lot of it is an issue with actually the media, even though we can bypass a lot of the gatekeeping through social media, I'm fortunately to have, fortunate to have a platform. A lot of people are not on social media, so if they're not plugged into, let's say, places like Breitbart or the Post Millennial or certain people on social media, you can completely miss out on extremely important stories and therefore be misinformed or disinformed about what's happening in the country. Are there any broader trends that you're either happy about or concerned about on this beat right now? Concerned about or? Or happy about, either way. Are we making progress against this violent, politically violent left? Uh, or do you feel like there are some things that are popping up still, still disturbing? Maybe it's more of these autonomous zones. Um, I'm pessimistic about the, the direction of, I guess, where the United States is going in. And, and, and I say that because, um, yes, we're not having the same type of nightly rise as we saw in 2020, but the networks and strategies that were developed throughout that year remain. And it will only just be a matter of time before there's another George Floyd-like moment to galvanize the left into violence. You know, there hasn't been a systematic dismantling of these networks. Um, with Elon um, at the helm of Twitter now, there is some change in that some of these violent extremist accounts have been suspended. But, I mean, his involvement with Twitter seems tenuous at best. We don't know whether that's going to be long long term and really it's a law enforcement matter and we're seeing over and over in my opinion a failure of the federal authorities so what would you like to see in the next year or so in terms of the country america in particular and really the west in general starting to deal with the political violence on the left what are the things you'd like to see happen and that maybe you're surprised aren't happening yet i think it's really important to build coalitions and sometimes i wonder if people on the right and left are so embedded, are so wedded to their beliefs that they're not willing to make compromises and that, that concerns me. I know it's, it may be unpalatable to give up certain things that are core and principle to one's personal beliefs or religious beliefs, but I mean, I don't really see how the country could come together without that given you have essentially two sides who offer vastly, vastly different um, pathways for the country and um, you either have more polarization or, or compromise in coming together. And so um, my frustration with the left is that they've built a coalition, not with moderates and center-right people, but rather those on the far left. You know, many Democrats, willingly or not, are actually give, doing a lot of the propaganda narratives for violent extremists like Antifa, for example, by denying their existence, downplaying their violence, deflecting the violence onto another side. So do you think, though, that the right, because our coalition does seem to be encompassing really the entire anti-woke universe, is not as doctrinaire, but yet it does feel like there's a lot of values that we mostly agree on that are galvanizing people. I guess I'm optimistic ideologically in terms of what that looks like in a broader societal level. I don't know, but does it feel like ideologically there is progress being made? I mean, I wonder how, how one can be optimistic when 
all of the institutions that are self-replicating for the current and next generations have been taken over and dominated by one side. How do you counter that? I don't even know. I'm not a political strategist. It seems actually quite, I, I'm quite pessimistic about all of it. I think, you know, just looking at, you know, journalistic institutions, what's happened there. Like, do you really think there's coming back? Well, no, not from the, the institutions need to be repealed and replaced. But I think a lot of the people, I think the people were, I think we're getting through to people. I think you're getting through to a lot of people. I think we're getting through to a lot of people. So, uh, Andy, this will be the last one for today. If people want to support you, what are the best ways they can support your work? Well, I'm an independent journalist. And so, um, you know, I really lean on people who like my work to support me as well. So going to andy-ngo.com and there are ways to support me there. Wonderful. Well, you're an incredible voice and thanks for being here. News with Tyler Bowyer, the COO of Turning Point Action. Tyler, this is your event, sort of. Would you say this is your event? Yeah, America this has been Best? the work and glory of building this thing for the last number of years. So. Unbelievable. It's been yeah, fun. It's huge. It's a record crowd, and the crowd's terrific. I've already yeah, got like 12,000 people here, so it's big. And, and they're engaged, and they want deep thought. They're mm -hmm. not, they don't want to skim on the surface. Yep. It's a, they want you to go deep and talk about what's really going on in this country. Uh, what do you think the message is that's really resonating with the younger crowd turning point? Well, you know, I think more people are more engaged with what's going on actually in our country than ever before. And so, you know, we were just talking about it. I'm on the Republican National Committee. Sure. It's like Moonlight, and people are really engaged in what's happening with the RNC race there. Uh, they just they just have more understanding and knowledge of what's going on because of the activist work that's being done yeah. here. The activist work that you do, quite frankly, and, and staying in, in the loop on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah. which uh, I think that's different. That's different from where it was 10 years ago. I think there's a huge frustration with the Republican Party in general for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, we could point a lot of fingers a lot of different places. Sure. You're free to do that. I'm not encouraging you to do it. But there's definitely a atmosphere that we can do more. Yeah. Uh, so what are the key things that you think should be on the agenda for a, a, a political party right now? Well, look, I mean, the Republican Party has to define itself. We, we say that year in and year out. It has to define itself as you know, the same, normal return to American principles, common sense party. And that's where we are. You know, that's where conservatives are. It's just we're not doing a good enough job actually getting out that message. And so, uh, you know, when we talk about fighting Alinsky, yeah. Alinsky, it's Alinskyism. Yeah, for those that follow what that is, you know, Hillary Clinton is Alinsky, Obama right. is Alinsky. Right. You know, everything that's basically come from the Obama era is Alinskyism. Yes. The, the hijacking of our elections and the, the you know, st stealing away the media and turning to activist media, that's Alinsky. So what's the what's the solution? What is the Achilles heel to that? It's spreading, spreading truth right. one by one. And so the things that we do here the things that you do, it's, it's spreading truth one person at a time. And the more you do that, the more you're able to decimate the Alinskyites. So. so, and you're right about this. I actually, I've been thinking nonstop about Joe Biden for the last, whatever it is, a couple of years. Uh, but I, a lot of my speech to the group was about Obama. And it was yeah. about some of the lessons from Obama that are 
really setting that sort of foundation for the modern day left. Like, totally. And he is directly from that Chicago school with all of those radical Marxists. Totally. Well, and, and a lot of the people that came out of his administration too, I mean, look, the hijacking of our elections, because this is the number one issue, right? Yeah. And I say this all the time, I get in front of everybody. If we cannot protect our elections and make sure that we're independently conducting elections from you know, a political group, which is what's happened with Eric Holder. Eric Holder came out, and what did they want to do? They wanted to control redistricting, and they wanted to control how we actually yes. cast votes. Yes. And that's what they've done. So basically, since Obama's been out, that's all they've focused on. And they didn't expect Trump to win. Uh, yeah, that was really the deviation here, but they've gone right back on course in the last few years, the last four years sure. uh, through Trump, and then since uh, you know, Biden's been in office, that's all they focus on is just completely hijacking our country that way. Yes, and, and this is where we're way behind. So do, have you assessed yes. why we're way behind on this? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's, again, it goes, they've used every Alinsky model to try to try to screw us. You know, they've, they've looked at this and they said, We've got, to hide, we've got to change how we do elections. We've got to try to pack the Supreme Court. We've got to, you know, pass national pop. They want to, why, why have all these things all, all of a sudden popped up in the last five years? Well, it's because they, they know that we have a strength in numbers. I mean, look, you don't see things like this happen on the left. They don't have these conferences, right? Well, what do they do? They hijack the teachers union. They hijack the associations that, that run our society. And then they try to make you feel and look as if that you're stupid because you're on the outside, you know, really giving common sense points on the issues that matter to your community. And so what we have to do is we have to go and infiltrate those things. We have to take those places back. We have to hold our teachers accountable, hold our nurses accountable, hold our doctors accountable now, uh, obviously our elected officials. Uh, but that happens one by one through activism that, that really spawns from places like this. Right, so let's go back a step, and how do you, do you differentiate between Turning Point USA and Turning Point Action? Because I don't think everyone knows that yeah. you guys have two big operations now, not just yeah. the one. Yeah, so I, I ran the operations for Turning Point USA for the last like almost six years, and really built it to where we are now. Now we've moved over, now we're replicating the whole thing under Turning Point Action, which is a 501c4. And the difference between 501c3s and c4s is the c3s can't get political, c4s can. So now we have an arm that is is out of the box political. Right. So we can talk about many of the things that we're talking about here through turning point action. Sure. And it seems like ideas wise, it seems like there's actually a lot of consensus on the right now. It seems like everyone's yeah. kind of on the same side on immigration and China and the media. And totally. Bringing manufacturing back, ripping up bad trade deals. It just seems like we get the picture. And yet, it seems so much harder to get the job done politically than it is ideologically. Well, I'll tell you, and again, I'm not, I'm not attacking our boomers out there, but I mean, look, we have, we have a lot of older folks that have been in the party that run forever, yeah. really with a lot of these things not really being a question. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, like we love America. Yeah. And now that the left has come in and attacked the heart of America, yeah. we have a bunch of people now going, wait, we have to get aggressive with who we put in the party and the Congress. and. And there's a lot of guys that have been there for a long time that just are like, well, I'm not really, I didn't sign up for this fight, right? Yeah. I just have been here for a long time. And like, that's fine if you want to watch the country get destroyed sure. by radical millennial Marxists, right? Like yes. that's what we're, and so as a millennial, as a young guy, I know you're young, I think you're in the millennial category here I too. Am, yeah. So as a, as a young guy and, and this generation of most people that are here, we have to fight 
the battle for the conservative movement against yeah. these radical Marxists. And so it's, this is the time where we have to prove ourselves and say, hey, sure. you can hand the keys over to me and, and we can run with it from here. And that's what we have to do as a movement. Yeah, and we're not there yet. And it's good that people are thinking about that. Finally, we're a little late, but I'm glad we're starting to. So yes. you said you moonlight the RNC, but you really moonlight as being the guy on Arizona election information. Sure. You were always a person that I thought had the most information on Arizona elections of anyone. Um, so that must have made you very busy, this uh, kind of lame duck session. Um, but to tell us the truth. What do you think is going on in Arizona? What happened? And what are things that you think are maybe less than legal, maybe legal, but not above board? And sure. again, of course, what do we do to fix some of this stuff, especially considering the results? Yeah, I mean, look, Arizona deserves its own news organization because it really we have, it's just so crazy here, uh, which is fun. That's why it's fun to be here at America Fest in Arizona, my home state. But uh, I mean, look, we have a scenario in Arizona that's playing out that's very similar to other places in the country where there are people who say they're Republicans that are really not Republicans, that are very comfortable with handing our elections over to those, those radicals, the leftists that came out of the Obama administration that just want to hijack our country. And so what happened essentially to us and our state here is that they had been laying that foundation for years and years, yes. really over a decade, and we are completely caught with our pants around our ankles here trying to catch up. And so what we have to do as a party, what we have to do as a movement across the country, we have to get back to, look, election integrity has to be first, we have to pass good laws. Well, what does that mean? We have to get good legislators in at the legislative level in every state. We've done that. We knocked out Rusty Bowers, who was the, who was the Speaker of the House here. So we're making movements, we're making progress on that front. But the second piece is this, is that we have to play the game with the, with the Democrats, and we have to do it better than them based off the rules. And the way that I explain it is this way, when Citizens United got passed and Democrats were screaming and crying about how you know, Republicans were going to use dark money and you know, dominate and take over all of, all of Western civilization and Democrat, the Democrat Party will be dead forever, they figured it out. They went out and found George Soros and they yes. did it better than yes. us. And so we have to look at this and go, they passed, yeah, they passed all these crappy election laws. Like, okay, well, we have to figure out, play the game and do it equally yes. or better than them in these places where we have to. Is that ideal? No. Do I want to do that? No. Did they want to fight the dark money battle? No, they probably didn't either, but they just did it better than us. Yeah. So that's where we are now. But what's frustrating for me a little bit is this does rely a little bit on the donor class and not just 100%. the establishment donor class, but the anti-establishment donor class to get it and to start allocating their resources in the proper way. It's a very small group of people with this amazing amount of power and it's hard to get through to them. Like, I mean, I've got a lot of power, but if I call someone, then I might get their guys, guys, guy, right. you know, and, and that's before I get anywhere close right. to get. And, so we need to get through to the those types of people or else we're going to see another few election cycles like this last one. Alex, exactly right. I mean, I'm telling you right now, that's the beauty of something like Turning Point. Yeah. We've actually, without, we, we won't get any credit for it, but we've 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 torn off that Band-Aid in a lot of ways. But we're talking with a lot of these big donors, a lot of billionaires, yes. a lot of guys, a lot of money. These are the people who bankroll a lot of the, the, the crazy stuff we see on the left. Uh, we don't have as many of those people yes, we don't have as many. because a lot of them are, are controlled by the Mitch McConnells of the world. And like, look, I mean, you just saw what you just saw in 2022 is what the party will go through until its death if Mitch McConnell is the only guy talking to billionaires. Okay, so you're exactly right. We need to be we need to have a much more democratized system within Agreed. the conservative movement with how we talk to the, the guys that finance things. They need to be much more aware and in the know. And I'll tell you. 
this is how you do it. You know, you have a movement like this where you bring everyone together, they can see it, they can put their hands on it. And we've invited a lot of donors here and their eyes have been opened to all this stuff. Let me ask you a personal question. Have you always been this way? Because I'm, I always, I, Charlie is an avid learner. You're, you knew so much about like Arizona, one pinky you know more about Arizona politics than just about anyone probably who's elected. And it, it's a big compliment, but it's also, I want to make sure, I, I was wired very similarly. We need millions of people yes. to live and breathe it, or yes. else they're not going to get the scope of the problem. And sometimes you really need a scalpel to, you need a seasoned surgeon to yes. fix some of this stuff. It can't just be bludgeoning people. Yes. And I love a good bludgeon. I'm an editor Breitbart. Like, like a good bludgeon's fine. But it's not just that. It's more complicated. How do we raise that generation of, of activists who have that capacity to go super deep? Well, you know, it, and you've run a big organization. I, yeah, I've run a big organization. I've, you know, we've, we've hired a lot of people. You know this better than anybody, is that not everybody's gonna be the sharpest tool in the shed, not sure. everybody's gonna be the best of their ability, but you have to kind of have a big operation in order to get to the best talent. Yeah. And then you yeah, have yeah, to have yeah, people yeah. that recognize nice. good talent and put good talent in the right place. The argument I would make is when the Democrat Party has been the most successful. They've I've been able to identify the talent and put them, plug them into the right place. It, you know, the World Cup just happened. The way that I always explain it to people is we don't need goalies, you know, playing upfield, and we don't need you know, middies, you know, playing defense and all that, right? Like we need people to play their position. And so you may be, you know, defender of Western civilization. That's the goalie of the conservative movement, and you know, I may be the attack dog. This is what the conservative movement has to figure out. And that's why I always get so offended when, you know, we have moderates or establishment guys go after Breitbart, they go after, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they go after whoever, right? It's because it's like, guys, play your freaking position here, okay? Yeah, right. Your position, right, right. your position is to do something very specific, Mitch McConnell, and you're not doing it, okay? So why don't you focus on yourself? And like, that's the conversation that we have to have within the movement. And that's what we have to constantly be reminding ourselves of. And the other thing is, to continue with the World Cup example, it's the farm system. You see, yeah. these organizations, they, they put 10, 11, 12 guys, whatever, I don't even know soccer very well, yeah. uh, on the field. Yeah. Uh, but this is a product of like, yeah. since they're 12, yeah. you start thinking, this guy's got some talent, let's yeah. get him into a structure yeah. where we can hone that talent, yeah. develop the talent. Yeah. Not everyone's gonna make it. Yeah. Some of them are gonna become Instagram chefs and not actually become soccer sure. players. Right. But uh, some of them are gonna make it. Yeah. And they're, they're gonna bring them a and they're gonna be in 21 awesome. years. Awesome, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then we have to be prepared, you know, and the way, again, again with this analogy, when you're operating a team, if you get, you know, a top, of the, a top uh, you know, a you know, footballer, soccer player, you have to be ready for it, right? Yeah. So that means you have to have the facilities, you have to have the trainers, you have to have the resources. So that goes back to your donor piece, right? right. If the donors aren't there, like, again, we had Carrie Lake here. I view her as, like, one of the greatest candidates that's ever walked into the Republican Party, willing to dedicate herself to this and we didn't have enough resources for her. Yeah. We didn't have enough bodies that were on the ground here doing the door knocking and the ballot ch chasing and tracking. You know, these are pieces that we have to understand. And so it's not enough just to say, oh, we have to fix our elections and that'll fix everything. That's not how it works, actually. Yes. How it works is that we have to fix our elections 100%. We have to push back against that. We're doing that. Yes. The conservative movement's doing that. Like We're all unified on that. But we have to go out and then say, okay, we're gonna make sure the resources are there. We're gonna make sure the teams are there, people. We're gonna we're gonna chase the ballots down. We're gonna win, uh, so you can have a break, so you can sit on the bench and sip some Gatorade for a little bit, right? <laughs> like that's how this works. Otherwise, we're just gonna burn ourselves into the ground 
because there's no I in team. There's not one person that can win a World Cup. So Tyler, if people want to support you in Turning Point, in Turning Point Action, what are the best moves? Uh, so we just launched a couple of different things, but one that I'm most excited about, Turning Point Action just launched our scorecard, which is the most transparent scorecard. We, we've taken all the scorecards, you, you've seen probably scores and ratings from they lots of different organizations. Yes. Lots of different organizations. Not all of them are transparent, and a lot of great organizations, some that are here that we love, uh, they do that. What we've done is we've consolidated all of them into one, yeah. and we've made it super transparent, and we put it online. So if you go to tpaction.com, you'll see it right on there, our scorecard that's on there, but you can follow everything that we do, our events, everything, staying in the know, politics, our endorsements, everything at tpaction.com. Well, good for you, and don't get discouraged by what's going on in Arizona, because you're one of the big shots in our movement right now. And we never will, we good. never will. are best known for your field reporting. And I think we've covered just about all your big stuff. Do you have a favorite? Is it Kenosha stuff? What is your favorite content that you've created? Man, I think uh, it's a toughie. It's a toughie because I was in Portland. I was in yeah. Seattle in Chaz undercover. Right. But I think the Kenosha stuff really was the first time I kind of made world news yeah. where that stuff like really blew up. I was getting hit up by like Israeli media, New Zealand, all over the place um, when I started to cover that riot on night one. And then on night three of the riot is when I documented Kyle Rittenhouse defending himself legally and lawfully. He's been acquitted. Uh, those videos went viral at the time. That was worldwide coverage. Uh, but then when I testified in the trial, that kind of really just really took things to another level that I never thought could ever end up. And I'm just an independent dude running around with a camera, just doing my best to show what the mainstream media was not only refusing to cover in 2020, but we're actually trying to lie about, right? Fiery, but mostly peaceful, calling them protests everywhere. But they were riots, they really were. Yeah, and so what draws you to a specific location? Because you've been to a lot of dangerous places, it takes some level of physical bravery, which is kind of, there's not a lot of journalists who have that these days, though you used to think that would be a prerequisite for being a journalist. So what makes you think that I'm gonna go out there and mix it up? Well, I mean, in 2020, I wanted to expose the lie, and the predominant lie was that BLM and Antifa are not violently rioting. So I saw that in my home state at the time, California, Beverly Hills, went and documented that, um, and in Santa Monica as well. Then Chaz happened in Seattle, went there, then New York had some stuff going on, and then ultimately in Portland for like 150 days plus. So I guess as a Christian, I am attracted to whatever is a lie because I feel it inside of me, mandated by God to expose the lies. So I guess kind of like that mixed with reporting was just this cocktail that really ended up showing a lot and revealing a lot to the world. So I guess a lot of this comes from my Christian values of kind of pinpointing where the lies are in the mainstream and then going and showing what the American and the world uh, people need to see. It is amazing, even though I know it must have been crazy circumstance, and I want to ask you about it. But of course, we 
put up a lot of your footage at Breitbart, but to see you testify in that trial, yeah. that was kind of wild because, you know, we've, we, there's always a thought that when you're documenting something, maybe this ends up with some sort of protracted court battle. It really did happen to you. Was that very stressful? What was that experience like? It was nerve-wracking, man, because I have never been in any environment like that before. I've, I've never been in a courtroom setting like that before. I'm not you know, legally trained. I'm not a lawyer. I don't even know like courtroom etiquette. Like I was making mistakes even at that level when I would say one thing and the judge is like, that's a normal thing. It's okay. You know? So for me, I was like, this is huge. Um, I see the lies that are coming out with the prosecutors at the time and the story was changing and it wasn't true. So as a Christian, I was just praying. I was asking God, look, I've never done this before in my entire life. I could really mess this up. I could really go in there and say something thinking I'm saying the right thing and totally screw this kid's entire life for the rest of yes. his life. So that was weighing heavy on my heart alongside of the conviction of going and doing what is right. Because in my own heart, I kind of knew like I have hours of body cam footage to really show the jury what happened that night in context in full. And I also have the footage of when he defended himself from Joseph Rosenbaum, right? So. I didn't want to live the rest of my life knowing I could have done something or said something with the information that I had. But at the same time, I didn't want to go in there and blow it and ruin it. So I, I just prayed and was like, had a conversation with my wife. She's like, you need to do this. So I got on a plane, went, testified, and the rest was history. Amazing. So, so I've never seen, maybe I've seen it, but it's rare to have uh, the conservative movement rally to someone's side as much as they did with Kyle. It was pretty unbelievable to still see it where he went to rock star status. Um, and I've been in this movement a long time, and I, I, I don't know if I recall seeing something exactly like this. I, yeah. Do you agree with that? And if so, why do you think that's been the case? Well, I mean, it happens in like the church. It happens yeah. in you know the mainstream where there's like child stars and they yeah. blow up. but. In the context of like conservatism and the right wing, what I saw was a kid that almost lost his life. Sure. And there's been a lot of criticism as to blowing Kyle up and making him a superstar. No, 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 no. The left does that. They make people superstars. They defame them. You had then candidate Joe Biden literally using him as the poster child of white supremacy on his campaign. So these people make superstars. But what happened with Kyle was we saw that they were going to try and ruin someone's life yet again over a lie laced with white supremacy. This was during 2020, okay? Everything was white supremacy. Black people are being shot and killed everywhere, which, by the way, they said Kyle shot black people. Never happened, okay? So what we saw was they made him a superstar because they lied and defamed him, which elevated the public to realize that here's another lie going on. We got to get behind someone that might lose his life because he defended himself as an American, right? From violent people that we're not going to have a conversation with him at a protest. Violent people that were probably, in my opinion, going to do some extreme harm or maybe even kill him in the middle of a riot, okay? So what happened was Kyle was, became this symbol of hope, not because of who Kyle is, but because of what he experienced, because that could have been any one of us defending ourselves in the middle of chaos and almost losing your life for it, right? So because he won and because he was vindicated, I think it was kind of like a, it was like a ray of hope in the middle of 2020. Sure. The lockdowns went down, people were losing their jobs, losing their lives. Everything was falling apart with $2 billion worth of damage being done across the United States by these rioters. 
we were just taking L after L after L after a few years of President Trump giving us W's. So I think in the middle of all of that, my personal spiritual opinion is I think God wanted us to give us a W and a ray of hope with some justice with what Kyle achieved. And when the right, because I've, I've argued with people that are like, well, why are we making him a superstar? That's not what it is. We've taken so many L's. I think for one, once we got a W, so we have to get behind that. Yeah, we, we have to give God glory for that. Remind me of what Chaz is Chaz, and what you saw there. Chaz was the autonomous zone in Portland. It was multiple blocks. They literally called it not only an autonomous zone, they self-proclaimed themselves to be a country within the United States Yeah, of they America. claimed they were their own country. They were yes. a sovereign nation in the yes, middle of Yes, and they had armed guards, okay, at the, uh, the entrance zones, okay? There were like two, maybe three main entries, maybe four, right? And they had armed guards, they were there, and anyone that they identified that was not friendly yeah. was not allowed any access. Especially at night is when things got really dangerous. They had their own laws written on the walls. They had their own rules written on the walls. Yeah. Tim Pool call, called it a LARP farm. They were trying to farm themselves while <laughs> they were camping out. Yes, okay, it, it was, it, it's funny to think about, but it was violent because yeah. when the night fell, okay, they were, looking around, making sure that there weren't people that shouldn't be there, if there were any journalists. I was there with Jack Posobiec and some others that were undercover as well. Anyone that was identified did get attacked that night. The citywide government was fine with it. They were. They called it the summer of love, right? So, but what happened was it collapsed from within. Yeah. Because they declared themselves... What happened to those autonomous... Right, they, they, they declared themselves an, an autonomous country within America, but they still needed resources from the city because people were fainting, they were drug overdosing, there was all kinds of stuff going on in there. So who do you call at that point? Oh, we call the police that we hate? Oh, do we bring in the fire department and the, uh, and, and the taxpayer funded outside of our country paramedics? Well, that's what they had to result to. They weren't really autonomous. So it kind of crumbled from within and obviously people were getting killed. So thank God that the city stepped in and put an end to it. So, so who were you there with while you were there reporting? At the time, I remember uh, I was undercover. Jack Posobiec was there with his brother. Uh, Elijah Schaefer was there as well. Kaylin Dalmeida was there as well. Andy No was there as well. And some of the Daily Caller people as well. This was actually one of my first like real undercover operations. It's kind of like where I learned a lot of stuff. They were attacking Christian preachers, just walking through, preaching the gospel. Uh, literally, they would attack them, physically assault them, and drag the preachers across the entire autonomous zone from beginning to end. So it, it was just pure insanity with these people. But yeah, there were a lot of undercover reporters at the time. And, and Chaz was kind of like, it was kind of like a learning ground for me of what I was going to go on and do with yeah. Portland right. and Kenosha. So it was, a, I don't know, I had to learn like literally on the job. Like no one trained me, no one, I mean, I did get some advice from people like Laura Logan that was giving me intel and helping me understand how Antifa works, Andy No as well. Yeah. So I kind of know my enemy and what to look out for. You, right. you got to, right? I'm not a field reporter per se, but I've been in enough situations where sometimes it, it feels sort of safe and sometimes it feels very not safe. Yeah. And I've been in a few of those situations, yeah. probably not as many as you in your young career, but it's a... It, 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 did you ever feel not good about the situation? Absolutely. Uh, it, particularly in Chaz, it was very violent. I started to realize that these people were organized. They would monitor Twitter. If you would post something in real time, 
they would find where you were yeah. based off of what you posted. They figured that out with us. It totally had changed and it's effective. Like we have to, we have to think about that when we go to live places because when we take things live, yes. we know we got 10 minutes until they find us. Yep, absolutely. And that was kind of the things that I was discovering and how to get around and how to look different and move different and yeah. talk different. It just, it became a whole act uh, yeah. in order to get this footage, but I knew that I needed to do it so that people could see what was going on. Yeah. So definitely not just Seattle and, and Chaz, but Portland, even Kenosha, these people would literally build like dossiers on me, my body type, right. the clothes I would wear, the shoes and the boots I would wear, the type of phone that I use, specific nights I was there. They build these dossiers on all these reporters, right? But these are the so called anarchists that don't believe in rules, right? Uh, but they would do that not because they're making sure that the right isn't out there to uh, be propagating what's really going on. No, they were there to physically assault you, find you and physically assault you. So if they do they openly look up to China or is that just we're just supposed to find all these patterns of how they treat dirt? Antifa? Yeah, because it, it, I mean, it's just straight out of the communist. They're not real anti-fascists. They're not. They are the real fascists. Yeah. They're a bunch of LARPers because they run around and Tim Poole and I talk about this all the time. It's like they're not real anarchists yeah. because they have a set of rules. Yes. They actually dictate everything that's going and, on. And at they're their more events. serious about the rules than we are about our rules. Yes. They enforce them very yeah. aggressively. Yeah. They will literally promote, hey, we're going to have an event here in Portland and downtown, whatever, right? No filming. No filming at all unless you're an ally. You see what I'm saying? So there is a regime quality about that's this. That's what I'm saying. It just sounds just like the CCP. It just yep, like exactly. Okay, so now you're doing front lines. So it's a, it's got a lot of humor to it. There's a lot of commentary, some reporting. Um, tell me about the show, where people can get it, and how it came about. Yeah, so post the uh, Rittenhouse trial, Turning Point approached me and said, hey, we love what you're doing. Charlie loves what you're doing. Uh, you're killing it. You're all over the place. We would love to come alongside of you and kind of blow some wind in your sails and kind of maybe build something out where you can maybe have a team of reporters alongside of you while you have your own show, breaking down the news of the day, putting your personality into it, but while continuing on the legacy of like on the ground reporting where people are watching in real time on the front lines, what is taking place. I love the idea. I said, let's do it. Um, just don't try and change me or censor what I say or what I believe and don't tell me who uh, I can or cannot be friends with and this will work. So it's been good up until this point and I'm really thankful that Turning Point brought me on, gave me the ability to do it. Charlie Kirk has been a huge support for me to do what I'm doing and continuing to do. He's always hitting me up saying, dude, what do you think of this? Let's go here. Like when the whole Roe v. Wade stuff went down, Charlie was just communicating directly with me. Let's go to D.C. If you got to go out there and wait for this decision to drop, you go stay out there for two weeks or a month. Let's do it. So that's what we're doing on front lines is we're just trying to get on the ground and get the story so that people can see what's happening. We need to inspire another generation of people to be willing the next time we have a summer of love to go out there and get in the field and get their hands dirty. Yeah. And it is physically risky. It is. It just is. And, you know, we do a lot of reporting in Mexico where, you know, 5, 10, 15 journalists get killed every year in Mexico. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you can't report. It's the opposite. You have to report. You get disappeared in China if you do any, uh, yes. any reporting. So it's the, the, the we cannot win long term without brave people. So what do you say to people who might say, I really admire what you're doing. I, I want to try something. What's the message? Go for it. Fear God and go for it. Because without God, none of this is possible. People always ask me, how were you there in Kenosha? How were you there standing there documenting perfectly, recording what Kyle was doing? How, how did you end up being in there in the first place? I'm like, 
All I know is that I'm a Christian and that the Lord directs my steps and he has these works predestined for me that I should walk in them. Yeah. And I definitely know that that was one of them. So as a Christian, that's how I live my life. I'm constantly trying to follow God. I'm not a perfect person, but I think right now more than ever, there's a reason why they're trying to dismantle the nuclear family. There's a reason why they're trying to take the mother out of the picture. Can't even identify what a woman is, trying to take the father out of fatherhood in his position, maybe even take the kids away from the parents, ultimately is an attack on God the Father. You don't have faith that all of those trans drag queens with the giant double Z breasts that are implanted should won't do a better job parenting my kids than I would? Absolutely like, not. Oh, okay. Uh, no, no, the, the, these people are not gonna take care of children. They hate children. And the point I was making is that the ultimate attack here is an attack on God. We are made in God's image. That is why they're attacking the biology of how we've been engineered. That is why all of this is taking place. And at the end of the day, they want us separated from our creator. That is how we win and get things back. You know what I've been finding? Uh, I've been finding people who are atheist and agnostic are starting to appreciate the Judeo-Christian underpinnings of our country. This is a, a pattern that I'm kind of liking, that without God, I don't know if the core values that we based our society on I don't think it works. When God is removed, what is replaced? It's the aforementioned drag queen story hour. Yep. Like that is what's going to fill the void. And it is a, um, and there's so many in our media who would like to see it happen. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. I think right now in the timeline in the United States of America, God got us here and it's going to take God to get us back to where we need to be. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it is another reminder always, always commune with God as, as often as you can and early and often. Uh, Drew, so if people want to watch Frontlines, what do they do? Yeah, you guys can go to Real America's Voice on the app, download the app. My show airs Monday through Friday at 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 Eastern. Or you guys can watch it on Rumble. Just search Frontlines with Drew Hernandez and uh, we get crazy. Good for you. Let's do this again. Thank you so much. I'm American made. Thanks a lot to Zach Jones who put the show together. Thanks to all of you for sticking with me, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.